we see that the regulations that are coming into place demands this before it happens. So if we don't take these steps now, then in five years, well, we know what's going to happen. We can see that running through those scenarios in the digital twin because we got access to context, to a global context in terms of responsibility, innovation, environmental aspects, political aspects, ethical aspects, social aspects, technological aspects, all of these kind of things that bring the context into the very, very fabric of daily decision making. You are listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, it's real estate and industry 4.0, and most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data you don't have that will change your life. With your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. This episode is sponsored by Platform of Trust. I like Platform of Trust because it enables companies to create value from any type of data. Therefore, it saves time, money, and it's the perfect tool for companies who want to make data-driven decisions on data they can trust. They make it easy to collect, harmonize, and trust the data from different sources and basically any source that you want. And you don't need to hire 10 IT technicians or spend hundreds of thousands for a cloud platform because Platform of Trust can manage integrations and you'll see if something goes down in real time. Platform of Trust enables companies to take action based on the data that you can trust today, not tomorrow. Nicola, welcome. It's really fantastic to have you speaking. And I think for myself, I'm particularly looking forward to talking about digital twins and how they interrelate with responsible innovation, because it's a really new topic, even though people have been talking about it now for a few years, but I'm delighted to have an expert here. So thank you so much, Lawrence. I'm really happy to be here. I always want to hear what's going on, right? You say that you're hearing about it, that it's gaining maybe traction. In what aspects do you hear about digital twins? I mean, where, where do you see that the people are talking about it? It's really interesting. For me, I keep on top a lot of the Internet of Things discussion and in particular how all of these little tiny sensors are being embedded into basically they're becoming socio-technical systems, right? Yeah. So all of this technology comes into human life and the idea now that we can build digital accurate replicas mm. of humanity or human systems <laughs> yeah. so that we can basically start to understand, okay, how does this product work or how will it work? That's what we've been hearing more of. And I think as we've gotten more bandwidth, the technology has become better and there are more people working on this. It seems that the idea is approaching some sort of maturity that's phenomenal. It's the best answer I've ever gotten if I ask someone what they think about a digital twin or what they're hearing, right? So I think you touched upon many of the aspects that I believe what a digital twin is. And I think this is, again, like hoping that it reaches some kind of maturity, maybe. So like what a definition of what that be. In the sense of this, sort of like this discussion, I would try to present my view what a digital twin is and what sort of like what the core fundamentals are for that digital twin and what some companies are doing and what I believe a digital twin have to do well right now in the future and how I think that will be so like beginning of the end 
uh, or maybe end of the beginning. It depends on how you see it, right? And it's not that dramatic, uh, but it might be. So it's going to be a lot of ups and downs, I think, in this conversation. But uh, my background, just briefly, uh, is uh, international management. I am Swedish, even though I look Colombian. And that's because I am Colombian, because I'm adopted from Colombia. Been in Sweden, worked abroad, worked in the UK for a year. Uh, studied in, uh, well, in Sweden, but also in South Korea, Switzerland, international management, IT management. I've started a couple of companies, uh, web agency. So I'm a bit of an entrepreneur, I would expect. I'm also helping startups, uh, been a management consultant. My driving force is that I just want to learn. I want to learn everything. So whenever I stumble upon something that I don't know about, I just want to know more and more and more and just talk to all the people in the world, basically. And I think that's hopefully a good quality to have. And it also makes me pretty equipped to understand the benefits and the possibilities of what a digital twin is and what they should be and what they can be. So you have Internet of Things, which is basically data sources that previously maybe they were like siloed. They weren't accessible. In your virtual background, you have a chairs, you have like lighting, you have a table. Before, if you would look at a sort of like an office space, you wouldn't necessarily know what's going on. If these were equipped with the Internet of Things or the sensors, you would know if someone was sitting there, you would know how often, when, what the lighting was, the table, what that was telling you. And basically what all the products around you, not only what they're telling you in silos, which is, I think, hopefully that then where IoT has sort of like in its infancy, as in getting things connected, getting the silos connected where they weren't connected before, and just putting this data. But then it becomes a part of a data strategy, right? So what is the data strategy? How will these technologies improve sort of like the likelihood of us reaching our intended goal as a company or as a person? I mean, what are the benefits for whom and how long time would it take? So I often talk about the importance of having a data strategy, which is also very important for a digital twin. Uh Let's start with the fundamental pillars of a digital twin. So you got IoT, which is Internet of Things, or the ability to ingest data, whether it's slow data, it's real-time data, it doesn't really matter. A digital twin should be able to absorb data in any which way possible, okay? And then you have the visualization perspective. So some people are claiming that they have digital twins, but they might be more a digital replica of a system but it's still like BI dashboards and these kind of things. And for me, BI dashboard can be very, very good for a specific amount of people that are very, very sort of like industry specific, but they're not really good at bridging knowledge transfer. Because Mm -hmm. if I looking at a building automation dashboard from a perspective of technical asset management, it's not that some marketing person can understand that or maybe the user or the CEO or CFO, right? because they have their respective dashboards or Excel sheets or PDFs that they like to look at. So I think like the visualization perspective of Digital Twin, it's a visualization of the real world that you're working on. You have the real-time streaming data in terms of the technical stuff. And then you have to have an ability to, if you want to create a complete Digital Twin, as in what you said, like a digital representation of how the world is working, you need to be able to take in data from any kind of source. It doesn't really matter if it's from... ERP systems, it's from weather data, if it's from financial data, whatever it looks like, it has to be able to absorb this. So that for me is a digital twin. So it can take in any kind of data, it can make sense of any data, and it makes the data sort of like AI ready 
so that if you want to come in with analytics initiatives, if you want to be able to do this, if you want to understand why that lighting and that share has in common and how that is different or the same in a portfolio of buildings, let's say, that's where you need analytics and that's where you need this kind of data to be ready for that analytics. And also when you have that data ready and you're running the algorithms and you're coming up with sort of like these what-if scenarios and these assumptions, you need to have that in a visualization kind of style because otherwise it's going to be, well, here's my Excel sheets. Here is my BI dashboard. Here is my thing. And then it's just going to be the decision-making going to take forever. Then that's when we come back to the data to impact loop. And this is why I think like digital twins are the best I've ever seen in it's like shortening the data to impact loop because you have the data somewhere. Then you want to get that into information and then information into insight and that insight into action and that action into impact. And we want that impact to be sustainable. And we also have like the time factor, right? Global warming, climate change, all these kind of things. We need to do everything that we will do in the world, right? Utilizing AI, getting the solutions out there to the market, democratizing these kind of things. We need to do that as fast as possible. We can't have these lead times between data to information and then what is the impact? Can we follow up? What are these things that we do, right? So if we talk about like a city, a country, a global digital twin, whatever it could be, like let's just start with automotive manufacturing, for instance, as an example. And then you have a car. And in a car, there are very different subsystems. You might have the brake lights, you have right now with electric vehicles, you have the battery, you have all these kind of different things and different nodes. And those are different engineers with specific skill sets that work on that specific part of that car. And for them to understand how to do this together, they need a digital twin. They need a shared reality so they can look at the car and then explain it to you, to me, to their daughter, to their sons, or whatever, or to the CEO, CFO, and just say, here is a complete digital twin of the car. I work in this aspect. Here is the battery section. And the battery section, when we made these changes in the, our last sprint, because the sustainability director said we have new emission requirements, well, maybe for an EV, that might not make too much sense, to be honest, but let's say we have requirements on our supply chain to use material that are in any way kind of sort of legitimized or certified to not be a danger to people, to society, or harmful for the environment or whatever. And that is very much different from what we used before. So then you can put, okay, we have external demands in terms of sustainability as a data source, as a factor. Then you have the supply chain. Okay, can our existing supply chain adhere to these changes necessary because of the external environment? Today, doing those sort of like assumptions, it takes a little bit of time. If you would have that in a digital twin setting that not only is confined to the car, but it's tied to, okay, so you have the battery over here in the digital twin, which we see before us. And that battery is also tied to the external factors from the supply chain, from the choice of vendor, choice of material, as well as the external factors. And that is how the digital twin can be used to drive change within sort of like a responsibility setting. Because they just do their work, right? Most of the time. They come to work, they work on it, they get directives, and they work in their silo, and they do the best job they can. 
but they don't know about this all, all the other stuff. They don't know that there are constraints in the supply chain. They don't necessarily know why these changes have to happen, has happened, or why they will happen. But within a digital twin setting, not only the car, but the factory and the entire organization, they are able to communicate through and through and understand why this is, but also what you said as well, run what-if simulations. What if this happens? How will this affect our time to market? If we choose these vendors, maybe the price will go up because, well, right now, a lot of times, uh, affordable or cheap is not necessarily good for the environment, right? It might come from hazardous environments. It comes from all these kind of places. So by doing something more legit or whatever you want to call it, responsible innovation have a higher impact on the price. But then again, if you're looking at the regulations in place in terms of fines and, of course, the moral responsibility of not only having data-driven decision-making, but actually value-driven decision-making, that is something that you can ingrain in a digital fabric so that you have these responsibilities, not only as fluff words and greenwashing that no one has cared about that much, to be honest, but you can ingrain it in the company policy and the actual supply chain. So there, there's a direct correlation between innovation and what needs to happen. Because otherwise, you can run what-if simulations. Okay, we do this, and the car, et cetera, whatever that could be, is going to go to market in five years, four years, three years. And we see that the regulations that are coming into place, it demands this before it happens. So if we don't take these steps now, then in five years, well, we know what's going to happen. We can see that running through those scenarios in the digital twin because we got access to context, to a global context in terms of responsibility, innovation, environmental aspects, political aspects, ethical aspects, social aspects, technological aspects, all of these kind of things that bring the context into the very, very fabric of daily decision making. I was in a call the other day where we said, butterflies and bacons, that that would be a great idea for a name from a management consultancy company. I don't know if you get it. If you are, you're a genius, right? But I mean, like, it's basically a play on the butterfly effects, as in a butterfly flutters its wings somewhere across the Atlantic, whatever, and there's a hurricane, a storm or tornado somewhere else, right? To understand those linkages, that is exactly what the digital twin can and will do, right? So that's what it will do. And the bacon aspect is uh, like the three degrees of, I think it's Kevin Bacon, that if you go to one actor or actress, and then you go like one or two, three steps, you can always find Kevin Bacon. So, and I think that's also with the digital twin perspective that it makes that regulation somewhere that enforces companies or tries to enforce companies to act in a certain way that is so tied to the data decision-making. They're not in different places, but in a digital twin, if you provide the data context as well as the visualization, you can actually make this understood. You can explain this. So the CSR person can actually say, if we don't do this now, and in four years with this will be the truth in the world that we have to operate in, these are the fines that we're going to receive. So from a monetary standpoint, even if the cost right now is a little, little bit higher than it was before, if we don't do it, it's a financial play. So then the CFO can say, oh, now I get it. I only thought that this would just be whatever it is, right? Or 
you know, like with the other automotive scandal, where you have this emission scandal, if they would have run this in a digital twin before, okay, what is the cost of actually doing something about it? And having these metrics in place run in a digital twin, understanding what their whole supply chain would be about, then that would not have happened, to be honest. From a smart city perspective, from a country perspective, the benefits are that you do things in silos, but what you do can provide value in a greater context to others. And that's exactly what it should do. Now, within a digital twin, not only can regulating bodies incorporate their own digital twin to see if actually companies are doing this, whether it's a law enforcement to understand things from a country perspective in acquire, like accessing different databases and saying that, okay, unemployment, they've been off with like taking care of a sick child, but they're also been spotted buying, I don't know, tickets to a balls game with their friends. I mean, it's just all these kind of things. So that's why it's like the beginning to the end and the end of the beginning. Because once everything is in this digital data fabric, which is a digital twin, that also has the visualization perspective, AI readiness, all these kind of things, there will be very little, very few surprises left. There will be no places to hide. And in, in the wrong hands, which we're seeing right now, again, with some dictators in very large countries that are using technology to, from a 1984 perspective, right? They're using it as in to control more or less the population to some extent. And also large companies, e-commerce companies that are using this to not towards a greater good in a sense. And I think that that's sort of like the worry. That's my biggest worry because you see the dramatic benefits these kind of technologies can have. But I also see, well, the dangers if we don't have the regulating bodies in place and that it's not done in an environmental responsible or that it's not responsible innovation. So I think that goes back to the core fundamentals that we have to build in something where it's not only data-driven, right? It has to be value-driven and it has to be people that at some point in the decision-making, they have to be there probably in a consensus kind of way. So, you know, with the submarines in these movies with uh, Hunt for Red October or Crimson Tide, I think, where they just like, you need two people to sort of like turn the keys in order for something to happen, right? If you want to go with nuclear, whatever, I mean, two people, I mean, come on, it should be at least three people (laughs) or something, right? So that's the point, right? I mean, we have to have thresholds in place that keeps not only systems and data and machines to do things that well aren't really good for whether it's society and to have these parameters ingrained into the data fabric, but also I think like people to be a part of that decision making so that it's not only data because that is biased at most times and we're not really there yet. But I definitely know or I see that even from a Swedish national or whatever national competitive perspective, we need to do something about it. UK, Sweden, the US, AI has to be at its core and digital twins are either before, after, or in between. I say that it's definitely before in making data AI ready and providing the context needed in order to make better decisions with the help and augmentation of AI and these kind of things, right? But we need to do something now and it has to be global context, national context, and we have to have definitely responsible innovation in place, ingrain it into the data fabric so you can have feelings ingrained. But this, again, is also the scary part. But let's look at it from, if you have a digital twin of the world, let's say, or a national context, or even just a company at any given specific point in time, you have that story in the so-called blockchain. 
So again, like you can go back and see what was the snapshot of this organization based on the data points it had at any given point in time, right? If you also have cameras or you have annotations as in capturing if people are smiling, if they're sad, if they're feeling great or bad, you can actually capture a moment of humanity, right? At any given point in time, how the world was feeling at some point. I mean, if you go to this like extreme extent of looking at it from a very, very sort of like futuristic perspective where everything is going right, you have this Swedish company that are printing cells, which is called Cell Inc. So if you have that, you have uh, you have Elon Musk working this Neuralink as well. We're seeing, we're going to come to a point where we can record human history as it unfolds. And we can record what the feelings are at any given specific point in time. If we can record it, we at most likely at some point, we can store it, we can save it, we can probably copy it. And that in itself, mission to Mars, all these kind of things, right? So it could be utopian, it could be dystopian, depending on how, what you do with it. But it goes back to responsible innovation, okay. that we think about these things, that we use digital twins to run these what-if simulations, that we, when we're building these things, that we think about this stuff, that we act upon this stuff that we have regulating bodies in place and for invite them into the conversation as early as possible, I would say. And I think that's maybe my action to not only work from a technology, technology standpoint, right? But actually involve the governmental bodies having sort of like just what are the parameters that you think are necessary for this in the context that we need to work in in the future, right? Not only from, of course, a financial perspective of companies, but also from definitely a socially responsible, ethical standpoint, because ethical business or social responsibility business, that is good business. It's the only way to do business. And for that to be ingrained, not only in the fluffy words of corporates, whatever, it has to be ingrained in the digital operating model so that we can't make these decisions that we made time over time again. If we can create technology that enforces this in a natural kind of way and drive this change to where it needs to be, then I definitely think with that we have a chance, right? I mean, all the technology is there right now to change the course of history. And I think digital twins are perfectly positioned to provide that medium, that boundary-spanning element between people from different backgrounds to understand and agree on a shared reality and to say, when we use this material in this car, in this fabric, or we take these decisions buying more and more iPhones and Android phones, whatever, we can see here, this is coming from a mine somewhere. We can see all the components that act together in this virtual digital twin, but we can see the sources. We can see the sources originating from all over the world that contributes to this phone. And then we can stand in the classroom and say, okay, this is what old phones used to look like. We have pictures of kids working in mines, digging for cobalt, all these kind of things, right? And this is a phone you can visualize and see and understand the direct linkages to how it should be. And you have that in a mutable blockchain, you should be able to call them up and say, how are things going down there? I'm using your phone. Thank you so much. This is a great phone. And how are actually things going? That's the transparency level that we should have, but we're not there yet, obviously. But I think that that's, again, what the digital twin has a fundamental core place in terms of responsible innovation. It's really interesting. And like you say, if for shareholders and for customers, if you can 
look at that supply chain or see that actually right this phone it doesn't contravene any law or whatever gets stakeholder that gets shareholder support that gets customer yep. support and that increases the value of the company and as you mentioned like these digital twins it's a really fine balance isn't it it really could go on either yes this contributes to responsibly transforming ourselves digitally or right we understand now more or less how to nudge people towards things that we want to nudge them to it's a really fine balance yeah absolutely and we're in the midst of it right so i think like my favorite example which i'm saying like in every conversation right now when it comes to traditional companies versus modern companies i would say Mm -hmm. is there is a company called alibaba i think they had a their financial arm of Alibaba, or they, I think they spun out uh, this bank called Ant Financial. It's called Ant Group right now. Ant Financial, they have 10,000 employees servicing 700 million customers all across Asia. Bank of America, founded in, I think it was 1924, they have 209,000 employees and they have 67 million customers in America, right? So 209,000 employees to 67 million customers versus 10,000 employees and 700 million customers. Quite a difference. And the value that Ant Financial or Ant Group provides for their customers is substantially better because this is sort of like the key learning I got from that one is that growth is efficiency for modern companies. Growth for traditional companies is inefficiency added complexity, and probably worse solutions or services for the customers in the short time, right? Whilst as data-driven companies have this data fabric, data pipelines, ability to utilize AI for all intents and purposes and delivering better, delivering better value for the customers, that's what modern companies are all about. So that is a Chinese company. So say what you will of the country, this is, they're really far ahead when it comes to a lot of initiatives that will matter most for companies to succeed, survive, and thrive in, in the modern world, right? Jeff Bezos out of Amazon, out of the US, he mandated something extremely prolific in 2002, I think. So I listened to this, uh, I don't know, as a talk show host, because Amazon is heading into Sweden right now. I think it's during like maybe in the next couple of weeks. And everyone's sort of like debating you know, what will do that for e-commerce in Sweden? How would that affect retail, et cetera, et cetera. And there was like a couple of people on this show that just talked about it. One of the persons in that show, he's just said like he visited Amazon. I don't know when it was, maybe five years ago, 10 years ago. It doesn't really matter. And he said something that I didn't understand at the time. He said that their departments, they don't talk to each other that much. They're not allowed to communicate sort of like department to department, et cetera, et cetera. There was no explanation given as far as I understood, at least, why, as to why that was, right? So in 2002, they were sort of like breaking at the seams. They, they had a lot of demand. They couldn't really cater, like the supply wasn't really there. And that was because of the operating model of the company. It wasn't built for speed. It wasn't built to work in a data-driven kind of way, right? So what he did in 2002, which most companies are struggling with today, is that he decreed that in order to converse with other departments or other internal departments, you need to do that via service layers or service interactions as in APIs. So you can't just go to someone, just tell them what to do, or maybe even send emails or whatever it is. It has to go with APIs. So he built the data fabric back in 2002 or starting towards that journey in order to cater to a data-to-data communication process so that the lead times 
with understanding where the world is going, wouldn't be hindered by technological obsolescence within the company. And he also said like, okay, it has to be internal APIs, but they also have to be externalized at some point. Because that goes to show that data in its own doesn't really have any meaning, right? It provides meaning for whatever system is using it or looking at it, or for whatever person is looking at it as well, which goes back to the digital twin. Because if I, as a management consultant, look at a digital twin for a company, I'm interested in some certain things, right? But the difference is that it acts as a whole. That is that everything is tied together. Everything is connected. So they don't necessarily use digital twins in order for like to run communication and visualize what happened where, but they had the data fabric. So for them to be able to slap on a visualization layer, much, much easier than the companies that don't have the data fabric to do these kind of things. So I think like the point I want to make is that if you have the data structure and the digital operating model, utilizing the digital twin, and you can decide to say, okay, we are going to go CSR, corporate social responsibility. We're going to have responsible innovation. And the way that we're doing that is not only going to be these fluff words on the wall, we're going to have it ingrained in our operating model. So we can't do it. We're going to have direct sort of like pipeline towards the regulating bodies. They're going to have to provide full insight and transparency into what we do from their perspective. It's going to be stored in an immutable blockchain. And of course, we can utilize AI and all these kind of things. And that's how it is. So that we can stand in front of the room with our car, motorcycle, mobile phone, whatever it is, and say, this is how we used to work. And we apologize for that. We didn't know better. We didn't understand how these things were tied together. Or maybe the, the other board did understand, but they didn't care because they were old school. Now we are doing this. And to explode this, sort of like in a way, explode as in visualize the different sort of like granular pieces, but in a context to, for everyone to see, this is how we're working today. This is what provides the material. These are the engineers and the people that, that are building this. These are our customers. And this is how our digital twin or our operating context looks like. And this is exactly what we're doing right now and at any given point in time. So th there's not going to be any more surprises. There, they can't be. And again, like that is the benefit of the digital twin, I believe. Nicola, that is that is absolutely fantastic. And like you say, I think this is absolutely key to everything that we're speaking about. Thank you so much for sharing all of this amazing insight. This is absolutely fascinating and we'll be in touch soon. So absolutely. thank you very much again. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast. And also a big thank you to our sponsor, Platform of Trust. For those of you who want to collect, harmonize, and trust data from anywhere in the world and make sense of it in a much, much faster way than ever before. Thank you.